If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hi everyone, and welcome to My Millennial Money Medical. My name is Dev Raga, and in this episode, we'll discuss the concept of a prenuptial agreement. Now, in Australia, it's actually formally referred to as a binding financial agreement. If you want me to discuss a specific topic, or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. For those of you that are new to the channel, there are three main aims. I call them the three E's. The first E is to be educated about personal finances. To be educated means improving your financial literacy, and that leads to the second E, which is empowerment. That means we can take that knowledge and feel empowered and take it back to your credentialed advisor. And the third E is entertainment. Now, this topic was inspired by a question I received from Anonymous, who asks, Hi Dev, thanks for the podcast. I'm a 38-year-old female And I'm just wondering if prenups are something I should routinely consider before getting married. How long before a marriage should it be considered? And what are some of the pros and cons and pitfalls? It's likely my earnings will be significantly more than my partner's. Is there a good way to broach this subject with my partner? That's a really good question. And it's a very touchy topic, uh, mostly. But let's negate all that. And let's approach it from an objective point of view. Now, before we go on to the main topic of, you know, prenuptial agreements or binding financial agreements. So for the purposes of this episode, binding financial agreements is what it's officially known as in Australia. And that would be the main term that I'll be using. If I do use the term prenup, then essentially that's what I'm talking about. But we need to first explore what happens if you don't have one. Now, the majority of Australians don't have a binding financial agreement, particularly if they've got partners. And I think only about 6% of couples actually do. Uh, In North America, I think it's a little bit more because they talk about it a bit more, but not much more than that. And about one third of marriages in Australia are not successful. And that leads to divorce. And that figure is probably a conservative estimate. So what happens if you don't have a binding financial agreement? Now, when you make a decision to apply for divorce, there is the emotional side of the breakup, but there's also a real financial impact of the breakup. And you need to come to an agreement with your partner about what assets and what liabilities will be split up such that both of you can move on financially. Now, usually if there is no binding financial agreement, you reach an agreement, um, you know, at the time via mediation, etc., and you'll need solicitors and lawyers for that. But if you can't come to an agreement, if an agreement is not reached, then you go to the courts and the decision is left to the judge. So 
when you get to the court, when the decision is up to the judge in the family courts, the judge will consider a few things. Number one, they'll consider you and your spouse's income and capacity for future earnings. Number two, the amount of property both of you have and its growth potential. And by property, it's not just physical property like residential assets or commercial assets. I'm talking about stock markets and superannuation, all that sort of stuff. Number three, what are your standards of living? Number four, what's the contribution to the family from both spouses? So you can do financial contributions, but you can also have non-financial contributions as well. So caring for children, maintaining a home, working outside of the home, working inside the home. Lots of things to consider. Number five, what are the likely financial needs and responsibilities of each person? Number six, future superannuation growth and pension earnings. Number seven, children who are minors. And this is a big one. Their priorities, their best interests, this trumps a lot of the other stuff. So a judge will consider that above all. They need to do the right thing by the kids. Now, the fundamental approach of the court system is whatever wealth is accumulated during the relationship is fairly divided based on the previous discussed factors. It's as simple as that. And the prevailing law act is the Family Law Act. Now, this is on top of the fact that there's divorce proceedings in court are not cheap. You're going to be liable to legal fees, court fees, and all of these cost a lot of money. So from a financial perspective, it might make complete financial sense to have it all arranged in a binding financial agreement. So what is it? What is a binding financial agreement? Well, it's a legal agreement between two people, partners, and it's basically a plan of dividing the assets in the event they go their separate ways. And the assets may include property, stock portfolio, superannuation, family items, cars, other sensitive possessions like jewellery or paintings or antiques, all that sort of stuff. And it also includes liabilities along with the assets. So any personal debts, credit card debts, mortgage debt, all that sort of stuff. Now, in the past, I think, you know, we often refer to this as prenuptial agreement, right? And the term nuptials signifies a wedding. But you can have a binding financial agreement, which is the same as a prenuptial agreement, before a wedding. You can have it after a wedding. You can even have it after a divorce or a separation. You don't need to be married. Um, De facto, couples can also have a BFA, so it doesn't matter. So that's why the term prenuptial agreement is a bit archaic and it's not used anymore, particularly in the legal sense. Now, if there's a valid binding financial agreement in place, does it override the Family Law Act? And generally, most lawyers would say yes. I'm not a lawyer, but you might have to check up this, but mostly yes. The BFA is final in most cases, provided there isn't anything fishy going on with the agreement. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So what are some of the basic things which must occur for a binding financial agreement to be valid and legally enforceable? Now, they must comply with the standards established in the Family Law Act of 1975. They must be in writing and each person must have received an independent legal advice. 
And this needs to be documented by the lawyer, outlining the pros and cons, the good and bad, and what would happen if the agreement wouldn't exist. The agreement must be drafted by an Australian lawyer. So any agreements drafted overseas is frankly not valid. And it has to be signed by both parties voluntarily, without coercion, without pressure, without threatening behaviour, and without what's called unconscionable conduct. And of course, each person in that agreement must fully disclose their complete financial standing. So let's use an example to highlight this principle. Amy is a 38-year-old female. She's been in a short-term relationship 11 months with her partner. Amy would like to discuss a binding financial agreement with her partner, particularly given things in the relationship are starting to get serious. Amy's partner is likely to earn a substantially lower income when compared to her. Amy and her partner seek independent legal advice and draw up a binding financial agreement. The wedding preparations are underway and Amy starts to think that she won't go ahead with the wedding without her partner agreeing to the terms and conditions of the binding financial agreement. Now that's point one. So Amy is technically giving an ultimatum to a partner saying, I'm not going to get married to you without you signing this agreement. Now that can be considered unconscionable conduct by the judge if the partner takes Amy to court in the event of a divorce in the future. And the binding financial agreement in this circumstance may not be valid. Now, furthermore, it comes to light that Amy does not disclose all of her assets when drawing up the binding financial agreement, which amounts to hiding assets. And this also is deemed fraud. Therefore, the agreement is not valid anyway. Now, the situation of hiding financial assets so the partner doesn't find out, it's actually a question I've gotten before. People have said, hey, Dev, what do you think about me just not telling my partner about some of the assets that I have? Now, I'm not a financial expert or I'm not a counsellor, I'm not a marriage counsellor or anything like that, but if you're starting a relationship with someone and you're not disclosing and being honest about what you have financially, it's just not appropriate. It's as simple as that. You can't hide stuff and think you can get away with it. And you can get into serious trouble if in the event you want to separate. Now, there have been cases where people have won a prize or won the lotto or whatever it is and never told their partner. And during divorce, it comes out and it just makes things much more difficult. So trust in a relationship, I mean, I'm not a, you know, relationships counsellor or expert, but trust in relationships is important. And I think if you're starting off your journey like that, it's probably not going to work out well if something were to go wrong. But seek your own advice, of course. Now, who's involved in a binding financial agreement? Now, the two people must be over 18 years of age. Otherwise, we have bigger problems. And it doesn't matter if you're in a heterosexual relationship or same-sex relationship. It doesn't matter. It's got to be drafted by two lawyers, one representing each party, and they've got to be independent of each other. So ideally, you wouldn't go to a particular law firm and have lawyer one in that law firm and have lawyer two in that law firm drafting your binding financial agreements for you and your partner. It just, you know, potentially for conflict of interest there. 
And the whole point of the agreement is to provide flexibility for the two separating parties and to take control of their financial future rather than having a judge decide based on the various factors. So when does it make sense to actually have a binding financial agreement? That's probably a million dollar question, right? I mean, if you speak to a lawyer, they'll say everyone should have one. Just like if you speak to a financial advisor, they'll probably say everyone should have one. And just like if you speak to a doctor and say, should I have a family doctor? Everyone would say, of course you should. So look, there are some circumstances which definitely warrant a BFA. And let's go through that in a moment, okay? Number one is if it's your second marriage or second relationship and you have assets from the first marriage and you want to give it to your children from the first marriage, you should be looking at a BFA. Number two is if it's a de facto relationship and one party is considering moving into the other party's property, consider a BFA. Number three is if one party is in a much stronger financial position to start with compared to the other party in terms of income, property, stock portfolio, super, etc., consider a BFA. Number four is if you want control of your financial future and keep matters out of court and possibly save on legal bills, having a BFA means you don't need to go to court in the event of a separation. And number five is, if there's inheritances involved, or if there's a family business involved, for example, farming is a good example of a family business, definitely consider a BFA. Now, in terms of legislation, there's actually two different legislation involved depending on the marital status. Now, again, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't really understand all the legal terms here, but essentially, if you're married... The section of the Family Law Act is called 1975-90B-90KA, for what it's worth. If you're not married, which I thought was interesting, sections 90UA-090UN apply. Now, I didn't know that. So, it's actually two separate parts of the Family Law Act. And it changes based on whether you're married or not. And it sounds incredibly boring. Unless you're a lawyer listening, then it's fascinating stuff. Now, the other thing is the Act covers all the states and territories except WA for some weird reason for de facto couples. So then what happens in WA? Now, I think in the Family Law Act is called Family Law Act 1997 in WA, and I don't know the finer details of this, but it seems for some reason WA family courts operate at a federal level, I think, even though it's a state family court, which, again, I could be completely wrong here, but that's basically what my little research has shown. Uh, But... At this stage, I'm going to leave that bit because I'm way beyond my depth. So let's just consult your credentialed lawyer before acting on any of this, right? That's just a bit of geeky things there. Now, what happens if you have a BFA and one of you die? Well, the agreement is still valid and must be executed along with the estate planning aspects of it. And this is really important to note, especially if there are children involved and they're still alive. And of course, that leads to a segue, should children be taken into account when, you know, drafting a BFA? And you may have kids at the time, or you may not have kids, or you're planning to have kids, or etc. And the answer is yes. That's one of the primary reasons why you should draft a BFA if you're in that situation. A lot of people may enter into an agreement before having children, but you need to make sure you consider the future when it comes to such agreements. 
Now, if you're not sure about having children, it may well worth it to mention it anyway to protect yourself and your kids in your BFA. Now, the agreement must always be in the best interest of the child. So the agreement can be overturned by the judge if the agreement is in violation of this. That's, we talked about, you know, some of the reasons why things can get overturned and children, it's got to be in the best interest of the children. That's one of the things that, you know, if the partner goes to court and objects to the BFA, then that can be overturned. Now, the other thing is you can include child support matters within the agreement, but the child has to be born already and must have a name and you need to specify the maintenance amount. And I think this is a bit unusual as you can't predict such details, but I guess guesstimating is not a bad idea. Now, before we go on, let's take a quick ad break. And on the other side, we'll discuss the pros and cons of binding financial agreements. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now we're back. So let's just summarize what are some of the pros of having a binding financial agreement. Number one, peace of mind factor. It provides you clarity moving forward as a couple. It shows in the event of something going wrong, you're planning to be looked after, and that includes for both parties. Number two is not involving the courts means greater control. You get what you agree to, and you're not relying on the judgment or family court system to portion your assets. And that makes a lot of sense. Now, in some cases, if you leave it to the court system, you may end up in a worse or off position. So again, having greater control and let's face it, we all work hard for our wealth and money, so we should have greater control over that rather than the court system. Number three is it can actually save you money. The financial and emotional cost of going through the court system through a divorce can be quite painful and expensive. It does cost a fair bit to have a binding financial agreement, no doubt, but in the long term, it may actually save you a lot of money. It is not uncommon for litigation bills to be five or six figures when everything is done. In fact, I was talking to someone just a couple of months ago 
and they're going through a very bitter divorce. And so far, their legal bills is in excess of $100,000. So compared to that, a BFA cost might be significantly cheaper. And we will address that very shortly. And generally, the process of separation, if you have a BFA, is smoother because everything's kind of written down and agreed to. And when you go through a divorce proceeding, you tend to hate each other. You know, diverse proceedings via court systems can be a very emotional experience. And certainly I've discussed with people who've gone through the process and it's never an easy process. It's a very sad, traumatic process. And having a BFA may actually reduce the acrimony between the parties. Now, the last thing is I'm not really sure if the evidence is there, but I've read that people who have BFAs tend to have reduced divorce and separation rates. And I suspect this is due to having all of the cards on the table, maybe, and having an open conversation and also having clarity for the situation, especially from a financial point of view. So the irony of having a BFA actually results in lesser reasons to actually use it, which is interesting. And I suppose, you know, it's a bit like driving a car, wearing a seatbelt, having airbags, driving safely results in lesser accidents and lesser trauma. So I suppose it kind of makes sense, but I don't know the rationale behind that, but um but certainly that seems to be the anecdotal evidence on the internet when I did some research on the internet, of course, like, like all things. Now, how much does a BFA cost in Australia? Um, it's variable, but there are fixed fee lawyers um, who will probably charge between two and a half to $5,000 per binding financial agreement. And this is per party. So it's not the total cost. So if you and your partner, you're looking at about five to $10,000. So, uh, but per person is about two and a half to $5,000, which Again, considering the circumstance is not too bad. Uh, again, going back to my experience talking to someone just a couple of months ago, more than $100,000 and the divorce is not finalised. It is not finalised. And the trauma and the experience and the sadness, the grief going through the whole process, and there are kids involved, of course, there's assets, there's businesses involved, there's GP practices involved. in, And it's just, you know, if they just had a BFA, then they might have saved a lot of money. And of course, a lot of heartache and a lot of emotional distress as well. Now, what are some of the bad things or cons of having a binding financial agreement? Number one is cost, right? And cost is everything. It's always an issue, as explained before. But if you're getting separated, you can't avoid it. So pick the lesser of two evils, right? I mean, well, I shouldn't say if you're getting separated. If you if if you have any sort of plans of getting separated, which you obviously don't, because you're going to be, you know, living happily together ever after, but having a BFA is sort of like a protection, like an insurance policy. So, you know, separation is going to cost you a lot of money. So, might as well protect yourself uh, at the time of separation if it ends up to that point. Number two is a position of control. I think it's really important, okay? It's a very tricky one. Um, in, In the pros of it, I did say that you have greater control over your divorce proceedings if you have a BFA as opposed to if you didn't. But that's also a con in the sense that this is a different type of position of controls, right? So if one of the parties has a definitely stronger financial situation, it may put them in a stronger position for negotiating during a binding financial agreement. It also depends on how good your lawyers are. So it may in fact turn out to be a bad deal for one party. If you've got a lazy lawyer or if you've got a lawyer that's not really paying much attention, then you can actually come up worse off and the negotiation powers and how amicably separated the couples are. Now, even if the agreement ends up being bad for one party, and you'll only realise that at the time of divorce, not when you actually do the BFA, 
it may still hold. And the BFA is actually binding. That's why it's called binding financial agreement, provided it doesn't breach any of the coercion aspect of it, right? So you've got to be really careful about the position of control situations. One of the cons of it is that you've got to be absolutely certain what you know and how to negotiate. And that depends on how good your lawyer is as well. And of course, you know, researching about it and learning about it is really important. Now, one of the other things is future-proofing a BFA is actually quite difficult. Relationships are unpredictable. Life is unpredictable. A BFA expects that the parties to predict the future such that the length of relationships, you know, children, how many kids, etc., it's so hard to predict. So, for example, if you predict you might have two children in your BFA and you account for that and you've done your wills and estate planning, all that sort of stuff, but end up with four children, what you signed up to as a BFA 10 years ago, thinking that you might have two children, might not be enough. And you may have agreed to do have lower assets than what you actually need to live on. So that's binding. So you've got to future-proof it. And future-proofing it can be quite difficult. So you have to think about kids and where you're going to be in 10, 15 years' time, how it's going to affect your life, what the cost of living is going to be in that time, all that sort of stuff. So you need some real professional advice about this. And of course, last but not least, there is this absence of trust issue. It's a difficult conversation to broach at any time, let alone before getting married or getting serious about a relationship. So is there a nice way to broach the subject? I think generally broaching it early in your relationship, you know, before marriage, of course, is probably the best time. Um, And it's really tricky because I think one of the things you probably wish you'd done it ages ago and how do you bring it up in a conversation? And you just need to be upfront and honest. But some people are going to take offense to it. I mean, one of the responses you may get is, are you asking me this because you think I'm in it for the money? That's often the common response that I've, I've heard people say to some of the people that I've spoken to have gone to their partner and said, look, let's organize a binding financial agreement to protect yourself, protect myself, etc." And the response is, do you think I'm after your money? It's a really tricky subject and you might want to get some advice on how to broach it. And there are lawyers and solicitors who specialize in this who are experts and I think it's really important to get their advice on how to emotionally deal with it at the time. Now, it's not essential to have a BFA if you don't care about what happens to your assets. But the reality is most people work very hard for their wealth. Most people do care about responsible use of their assets. So I think most people would want to know how much assets they're going to get out of a relationship if it goes sour. And the stats are one third of relationships and marriages in Australia go sour. That's the reality. That's it for this episode for binding financial agreements. Read about it, learn about it. The whole point of my channel is to make sure to bring you topics that you can really learn about and maybe help other people with. You might have come across people that are going through a divorce or wish they'd had a BFA or you might be, you know, having a relationship right now and thinking about it right now. So it's really important to have this conversation, learn about it. It's all about improving your personal financial literacy. Now, remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you may be using, or just leave a five-star review on all of them. I don't mind. Um, But when you leave a review, please leave a positive review. You know, I read them and it, you know, makes me feel good. If you think something about the podcast is not great, then reach out to me rather than leaving a negative review because, you know, it's gut-wrenching. But anyway, 
Be honest about it, of course. And the more ratings reviews you have, the more people get access to the podcast. So please keep them coming. And thank you to those that have reached out so far. My name is Dev Raga. This is My Millennium Money Medical. And until next time, learning about binding financial agreements on prenuptials or whatever you want to call it is really important. And please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.